Thank you so much. It uh, truly is great to be here this morning, and uh, I'm sure we all wish we were under different circumstances with more people, but uh, that will return someday. But uh, it was a beautiful morning driving up from Airdrie today, and uh, it really is to, a privilege to be here. And I w had the choice of doing this from home or doing it here, and I thought, you know what? I haven't traveled much in the last year, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out and I'm going to enjoy it. So, uh, Despite what it may look like, I am enjoying myself this morning. But uh, as, uh, as Mark mentioned, uh, I've been with the Billy Graham Association for about 15 years. Uh, primarily, uh, I work with Billy Graham's grandson, Will, and uh, we've uh, worked in about 30, probably 35, 36 cities in Canada in the last uh, 15 years. And uh, I wanted to share some stuff this morning that uh, I discovered personally, and I've Unfortunately, I only met Billy Graham once uh, at his uh, 90th birthday, uh, just very briefly um, was introduced to him. Uh, but as I said, got to know Will quite well over the last uh, 15 years. And um, some of the things that I share are personal stories. Some will be stories that I've heard from Will, from uh, people that spent many years with Dr. Graham. And uh, I remember as a child... Um, sitting on the lap of my dad watching Billy Graham on TV. And I suspect that many of you listening to me didn't have that experience, uh, probably didn't see uh, Billy Graham on TV a lot, maybe in the last few years you may have. But I, didn't, I myself didn't realize how well-known he was until I actually started working with the Billy Graham Association. And one of, the, one of the more comical things that happened to me, I was sitting on a plane and there was a, no one in the middle, and the guy was on the inside. And we just started chatting, and he said, uh, he said so who, who do you, what do you do for work? I said, I, uh, I'm a project manager with the Billy Graham Association. And he's about 25 years old. This was maybe 10 years ago. And he said, oh, man, that is amazing. That is so cool. And he went on and on and on. And I said, do you go to church? He said, no, I've never been to church in my life. I thought, this is so weird that this guy is so excited about the Billy Graham Association, but yet he doesn't go to church. And I said, so how do you know about the Billy Graham Association? He goes, I'm a huge fan of Billy Graham, the superstar Billy Graham, who was a wrestler a number of years ago. And he wasn't nearly as excited about what I did after I told him who I really was. So uh, that uh, I'm not here talking about the wrestler, if that is who you thought we were talking about this morning. But um, as I share this, I'm, I've got a lengthy video that I'm going to kind of put in the middle here because I felt that this story, a lot of the story is better told on video, the visuals. But I just want to share a few stats that LifeWay Research uh, published a few years back. And you have to remember that this occurred in a time when there were two to three channels on TV. That's it. Radio was, was the king of information. There was no social media, but yet Billy Graham became known around the world. And in his lifetime, 2.2 billion people heard him preach. 215 million people heard him live. 2.2 million accepted Christ at one of his events. He preached in 185 countries. His radio program, The Hour of Decision, was on the radio for 66 years. 
His newspaper column at the height reached 5 million subscribers every day. He wrote 33 books. He met and counseled 13 U.S. presidents and became known as pastor to the presidents. In the 50s, NBC offered him a $5 million contract over five years to do a talk show. And in today's money, that would be over $25 million. But he promptly turned it down and said, no, God called me to preach the gospel. How many of you would have turned down $100,000 a week to preach the gospel? Because for those of you who are going into ministry, I'm sorry to let you down, but $100,000 a week is probably not in your future. (laughs) But he was so sure of his calling. Starting in 1955, he placed in the top 10 of Gallup's most admired person in America for 49 years in a row. And I don't think there will ever be another evangelist, another pastor who will rise to that kind of recognition in our world. I just, I just think it's a different time. It's a different age. And Billy Graham has impacted people around the world. Uh, my wife and I, over the past, uh, not including this past year, but before that, we spent, I typically spent about six weeks a year and my wife about three weeks in Australia Uh, working with the staff there at the Billy Graham Association and training them and taking part in a couple uh, celebrations that Will did. And I found myself about four years ago in the middle of the outback uh, in a town called Alice Springs in a small Baptist church with about 110 people uh, gathered there for the training. And I asked the question, I said, how many of you are 59ers or children of 59ers. And over about 60 people out of the 105, 110 raised their hands. And you're saying, well, what's a 59er? A 59er is the term that has become quite popular in Australia for people who accepted Christ in 1959 when Billy Graham did his crusade in Australia. And at the time, Australia had about 3 million people, or sorry, 9 million people And three million of them heard Billy Graham in person over the six cities that he covered over three months. And 140, uh, let me check my stats here. I think it was 100 and, more than 140,000 people accepted Christ over that three-month period. 1.5% of the population of Australia came to Christ in that period. And today it's estimated that about 50% of Australian Christians can trace their roots back to 1959. Either they accepted Christ, their grandparents accepted Christ, or in some cases now their great-grandparents. I've had the privilege of doing some traveling with uh, Hillsong's Young and Free as well as uh, For King and Country. And both the, the brothers in For King and Country, also their sister, Rebecca St. James, their parents came to Christ in 1959, or their grandparents. Uh, young and free, over half of them, their grandparents came to Christ in 1959. So Billy Graham has had a profound impact on people around the world. And I want us to watch a 15-minute video right now that highlights many of the 
things within Billy Graham's life that were kind of the highlights of his life to give you a little better picture of who he was. And then when I come back, I'm going to very quickly cover a few things that I think set Billy Graham apart and things that can be an example for us. So let's, let's watch this video together. Born in his parents' home in 1918, William Franklin Graham was raised on the family dairy farm just outside Charlotte, North Carolina, as the son of devout Christians. I remember that I didn't care anything about God or religion or hell or the devil or anything else. I was just a carefree kid having a big time doing everything else that every other high school kid was doing. One day I came in from playing baseball and my mother asked me if I would go to church with her that night. She said, well, a powerful man is going to preach tonight. And I went. And I was looking out, listening intently to what he had to say, when all of a sudden he pointed back in my direction and he said, young man, you're a sinner. When the invitation was given, I just said, Lord, I'm going. He says, oh, mother, says the Lord has saved me tonight, says I know it. We knew then that the Lord had really gotten a hold of him. It changed the whole direction of my life. And then about three or four years later, I felt called to preach. Wanting to know more about God's Word, Billy convinced his parents to let him leave the farm he grew up on and attend the Florida Bible Institute. But in the years that followed, Billy began to wrestle with the direction his life was taking, not sure he wanted to be a preacher, but not knowing which way to turn. It was a full moonlight night that I'll never forget. It seemed to me that the Spirit of God just came into my heart in a tremendous surge of power. And I knelt down right there and I said, Lord, I'll be what you want me to be, and I'll do what you want me to do, and I'll never change. This was a pivotal moment Billy would reaffirm in his heart for decades to come. I believe that the Bible teaches that God has given some people the gift of a teacher, some the gift of a pastor, and some the gift of an evangelist. And I believe that God gave me the gift of an evangelist. It was a calling to take the message of hope in Jesus Christ with boldness to anyone who would listen. And it began in small churches and revival meetings. I'd prepared uh, four sermons, I remember, the first time I ever preached in a church. And I thought each one would last 45 minutes. And I preached all four of them in eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was at Wheaton College outside of Chicago where God stirred the young man's heart with a whole new appreciation for the Bible honing his skills in Bible study and preaching, disciplines that would serve Billy Graham for the rest of his ministry. And it was at Wheaton where Billy was enlightened about the needs of people beyond the borders of America, due in part to a young lady who was raised in China. Ruth Bell was the charming daughter of Dr. Nelson and Virginia Bell, who had been medical missionaries in China. It was there that Ruth was born and spent her first 17 years and where God ignited a flame of compassion in her heart for people all over the world. She was a new student at Wheaton College when Billy arrived on campus. Well, I remember when I first saw him, and he was dashing down the steps of Blanchard uh, two at a time, and my impression was there goes a young man in a hurry. This man that ran the furniture truck began to tell me about this girl from China, and then when I finally saw her, I was frightened to death to ever ask her for a date but I finally worked up enough courage to ask her to go at Christmas time to, to the Messiah. Now mind you, I didn't even know the man, but I just prayed and I said, Lord, if you will let me share his life, I will consider it the greatest honor possible. 
Fortunately, I didn't know what lay ahead. I wouldn't have had the nerve to pray a prayer like that. Billy and Ruth married in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina on August 13, 1943, and formed a partnership in life and ministry that served as Billy's anchor for 63 years. The first time I saw her, I fell in love with her, and I knew she was the one I was going to marry. Love at first sight. <laughs> and there were three in our marriage. There was the Lord, and there was Ruth and me. I said yes to Jesus Christ, and I remember that I put that in the scales, and for the first time in my life, the scales balanced. In the 1940s, as Billy Graham began his evangelistic ministry, he recruited several talented colleagues to help. No one was more valued than Ruth, who was rarely in public view, but was an active advisor to Billy behind the scenes. A team began forming, one that proved to be inspired, as these men served together for decades. Long before they enjoyed national prominence, these men held a somewhat impromptu meeting in Modesto, California. It was 1949, just before one of their early crusade events. Bill mentioned to us, he said, you know, we know that evangelists in the past have run into difficulties, have gotten involved in things that have brought disrepute to the cause of Christ. And he said, let's ask God to guard us from making those mistakes. The team decided to hold each other accountable to four virtues, financial accountability, moral integrity, respect for the local church and their pastors, and truth in publicity. It became known as the Modesto Manifesto. And it was through this team that the mission of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association came into focus to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to all they could by every effective means available to them. It was the foundation of integrity that would serve the team well as the ministry expanded beyond their wildest expectations. We were in Augusta, Georgia. Augusta, Georgia. And along about that time, we heard we were going to go to Los Angeles and it's going to be a big tent. Almighty God says there's going to be a judgment day. The first two weeks drew disappointing crowds, and the committee of leaders that had invited the crusade to Los Angeles considered ending the events. Then in the third week, popular radio host Stuart Hamblin supported the crusade on his radio broadcast, and more publicity was on the way. One night I went and I saw several photographers and there were several reporters trying to interview me all at one time. And I said, what has happened? Why are you here? They said, you've just been kissed by William Randolph Hearst. The media until now had ignored these events, but with interest from the head of the vast Hearst publishing empire, national coverage was almost instantaneous. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has an answer to every burden that you carry. The crusade was extended from the original plan of three weeks to eight. With this singular event, Billy Graham became a household name it was confirmation of his calling and God's faithfulness. Invitations for crusades continue to pour in from church groups all across the nation. Here in Times Square, I believe spiritual hunger draws people together like this. The next few decades became a whirlwind of opportunity for Billy Graham. And people have come to visit us from all over America and for that part, all over the world. In 1954, a committee of church leaders in England arranged for a series of crusade meetings in Great Britain. At the time, London was the largest city in the world, but the event was threatened by vocal members in Parliament who didn't want the American evangelist to hold a public event there. 
After much prayer, God opened the doors. And just as the Los Angeles Crusade created a watershed in America, the London Crusade marked a breakthrough in Billy's international prominence. And we're here to honor and glorify only one person, and that is the man in the glory, Jesus Christ. Total attendance was over two million, culminating with the final meeting in Wembley Stadium. Soon the Billy Graham evangelistic team made their way across Europe to places like Stockholm, Amsterdam, Berlin. The message of this book is the message of God. And Paris. You must receive Christ. And in 1956, into Asia, including India. I'm going to ask you to come and receive it. Hong Kong. Before we can have world peace, we must have peace within our hearts. Japan. For God so loved the world. And eventually, South Korea. I want to talk about the greatest man that ever lived. Over a million people from all over Korea came to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ on almost every continent, from Australia and if you come to, God, to Canada, give your life to Christ tonight, to Latin America and beyond. God opened the doors to take the good news into all the world. I think there are millions of people around the world that maybe have never heard of Christ, yet Christ has spoken to their hearts and they're prepared to listen. And my job is to go and present Christ to those people whose hearts God has prepared. As Billy's ministry grew, so did his family. Through the years, the Grahams were blessed with five children. We didn't realize that Daddy was well-known or anything, but I guess when, when um, Look Magazine and Time Magazine and Life Magazine would come to the house with Daddy's pictures on the front, we began to realize there's something you know, special here. National prominence brought increased demands on Billy's time, and the call to preach around the world would often keep him on the road and away from his family for several months at a time. Well, sometimes I imagine you feel like a stranger to your own family, don't you? <laughs> uh, well, I really do. The last time I was home, I'd been away seven months. I didn't understand the difficulties that my mother was going through. Saying goodbye to my father, knowing that he's going to be gone not just for a week, but for four months, six months, Incredible lady. Mother, I never in my lifetime ever heard her complain, never heard her say a negative word about my daddy. A lot of times I would go down this driveway here with tears in my eyes. I didn't want to go because I knew it'd be several weeks or months before I'd see her. Early in his ministry, Billy understood the power of the media to reach more people for Christ. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Hour of Decision even hosting a long-running television program and a weekly radio broadcast. Have you received him by a definite act of faith? Billy was a natural television personality. I think Billy went on all those shows because he always was spreading the message. He answered the questions, but it always came back to, Christ is your savior, Christ loves you. Uh, you've been reading the Bible, I see. Occasionally. You knew about the commandments. Yes, I know. Uh, Ten commandments can be broken in your heart by thought and intent. So in that sense, we're all guilty, and that's the reason the Bible says that everybody's a sinner. Even Ed is a sinner. Well, that, that <laughs> comes as quite a surprise. They, they, <laughs> Though he never sought fame, he saw that his growing recognition gave him an unparalleled opportunity to spread the gospel. What is your purpose? My purpose is to win as many people to him now, and I'm doing it because he ordered us to. He said, go into the whole world and proclaim this message that God loves people, 
that he's interested in people, he wants to help them in their present situation, and he wants to save their souls. The international attention would also bring in before American presidents and world leaders. Beginning with President Truman, Billy's spiritual counsel was welcomed by every subsequent president in the nation's highest office. I think it's through him that I found myself praying even more than a daily basis. He would be consulted by men and women of power in many countries on matters of faith, a trusted confidant behind the closed doors of leaders. His reputation is above reproach or suspicion. He's been a Christ-like figure. People see him as the, the great evangelist, but there's a warm, personal side to him that we Bushes have been privileged to see. He was a highly intelligent, highly articulate, highly charismatic man of profound faith who was nevertheless a man. He set for himself the highest possible standards. He has epitomized absolute integrity from the uh, public ministry. You're made in the image of God. You were made to glorify God. He's one of the great evangelists of our nation's history. His crusades are legendary. The size of his crowds were magnificent throughout the years uh, because of uh, the message. And without God, there's an empty place in your life. That could be filled tonight, right tonight, by a simple surrender to Jesus Christ. I consider the call to the ministry the highest and most marvelous calling in the world because it's an eternal calling. And I wouldn't trade places with any president or any king. There is no excuse ever for hatred. There is no excuse ever for bigotry and intolerance and prejudice. We are to love as God loved us. Crossing into uncharted territory, Billy refused to allow intense criticism to keep him from sharing the good news with everyone, regardless of race. But when God looks at you, he doesn't look on the outward appearance. His decision to confront racism and injustice in America and other parts of the world raised the respect of many and the ire of others. This is the way, the truth, and the life. Billy had received invitations to preach in South Africa, but refused to do so until he could preach to a non-segregated audience openly challenging apartheid. Christianity is not a white man's religion, and don't let anybody ever tell you that it's white or black. Christ belongs to all people. He belongs to the whole world. And he said to the thousands there, apartheid is sin. It, it's, it's wrong. It, it's, it's, it's not right with God. And the papers carried it. I know that God has sent me out as a warrior to preach the gospel. And I must continue until he gives the signal that I'm to stop. While we preach the cross with one arm, we also give a cup of cold water with the other. He has often been a healing voice and a calming shepherd, bringing comfort and solace to a troubled nation during seasons of crisis. This event reminds us of the brevity and the uncertainty of life. We never know when we too will be called into eternity. My prayer today is that we will feel the loving arms of God wrapped around us and will know in our hearts that He will never forsake us as we trust in Him. 
I've become an old man now and I've preached all over the world. And the older I get, the more I cling to that hope that I started with many years ago. I would like to be considered a person who had integrity and who was faithful to his calling and who loved God with all his heart, mind, and soul. Beginning with a simple expression of faith at age 15, speaking around the world with clarity and conviction, Billy Graham's ministry has delivered the message of hope in Jesus Christ throughout the world for over 80 years. Now, through the millions whose lives were changed by Christ, that ministry lives on. I just love that quote at the end that uh, someday you'll hear that Billy Graham is dead and uh, he's more alive than ever. And uh, as I watch that video, it still makes me emotional at times to uh, see and know the impact that was made. But I think that Billy Graham, from my very limited knowing him, it wasn't about him, and for all of us, he would want something more than just us talking about him. And as I conclude this morning, I, I just want to ask, what was it that set Billy Graham apart? What made him different than so many more around him? And I just jotted down a few things as I was listening to the video last week, and I, I edited that myself, so any production students that are watching, that was not done by the Billy Graham Association. There were a few uh, pretty rough cuts through there, but uh, the thing that set Billy Graham apart, the things that set him apart, I think that he was sure of his calling. Can you imagine leaving home, kissing your wife and five children goodbye, and being on the road for seven months? I just, I can't imagine that, the sacrifices that took place. And I've heard Franklin tell the story of his dad came home in the middle of the night and been gone for six months. And he walked in the bedroom in the morning. He was just a toddler. And he tapped his mother on the shoulder and he said, Mom, who's the man in your bed? <laughs> it was Billy Graham. But he had come home in the middle of the night. His, his children grew up with him away for months at a time. He wasn't persuaded by fame and fortune, but he knew his calling and was sure of it. He surrounded himself with trusted and godly men and women. I met Dr. Robert Kunville, who is in his 70s now. He joined the Billy Graham team in 1977 after being invited by Dr. Graham to come and join the team. He came to Christ at his crusade in India that was featured in the video. He's in his 70s. Last year, he did more than 50 events in India. And that's one of the trusted, godly men and women that he put around himself. He lived his life to the highest moral standard, 
You heard them mention the Modesto Manifesto and the Billy Graham Association. We still abide with those things that they set out. He made it a rule of his life and his ministry to never be alone with anyone, any woman other than his wife. And Vice President Pence was under attack from the media a few years back for having the same standard in his life. And for some of you, that may seem extreme. That may seem like a lot to do. But for Billy Graham, his integrity was the highest and most important thing that he had in his life. He was a student of the Bible. I remember Will Graham telling this story many times, that his grandfather would leave Bibles open around the house. And as he would go about his day just walking along, he said he would stop and read a scripture or two. And then later he'd go back and he'd pass another Bible and he'd read a, another portion. And he said he would, he would take snacks on the Bible throughout the day. And many years ago, there was a, a TV station that was interviewing him. And they were talking about Bible reading and prayer. And he, he said, Dr. Graham, how do you feel when you miss a day of prayer and Bible reading? Do, do you feel that you don't have the same energy, the same power as when you do spend time in prayer and Bible reading? They said that Billy Graham stopped and thought about it. And he said, when I miss a day, I'll have to let you know how I feel. And to me, that is so incredible that Bible reading and prayer was so important to him that he wouldn't miss a day. And in the last 10 years of his life, he spent most of it in, in his home and he spent time writing his last couple books, um, reading and studying right to the very end. And Billy Graham's life and dedication to Christ has challenged me personally to live and try and live with the same level of dedication and commitment. I'll never forget the day that I was in North Carolina for some meetings, and Will and I were out for the day, and he brought me back to the place where I was staying and dropped me off, and he looked at me and I'd been serving with him for about 13 years at the time. And he said, Dion, I thank you so much for everything that you do. And he said, I hope that you'll serve on my team until one of us goes home to be with Christ. And as that statement sunk in, I realized that the calling that God places on our lives, not, not the calling from Will Graham or Billy Graham, but the calling that God places on our lives, it's not a temporary calling. It's a lifelong calling that wherever we find ourselves in life as a college student, as a pastor, as a pilot, as a retired person, God has a calling and a place for us to serve. And I just want to finish with a couple quotes and a scripture verse that I think are applicable. 
Billy Graham said, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, everything is lost. The greatest legacy one can pass on to their children and grandchildren is not money or material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. And finally, the verse that I believe sums up the spirit and life of Billy Graham is found in Psalms 115 and 1, which reads, Not to us, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. And the work that was accomplished through Billy Graham we are not going to experience the same thing. We are not going to make the same accomplishments in life. But that really doesn't matter because God has called you to ministry. God has called you to do a work. And I'm not talking about pastoral ministry. I'm not talking about standing behind a pulpit and preaching. But I believe that God has called every one of us to a personal ministry and until you wrestle through your insecurities and your things that you deal with in life and surrender to God, you will always battle that. So this morning, as we conclude our time, I trust that you will be inspired by Billy Graham as I am, but also be reminded that it's not about serving a person. It's about serving Christ and the call that he's placed on our lives. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you for the calling that you have placed upon each of our lives. And this morning, as we have reflected upon the life and the ministry of Billy Graham, we realize the <clears throat> incredible impact that he had on millions and millions of people around the world, billions of people. And Lord, while we may not impact billions, we will have the opportunity to impact those that you have called us to reach out to and to minister to. So today, Lord, as an example of a life who was so dedicated to you, might we also dedicate ourselves to you and to the work that you have called us to do. So just continue to lead us, direct us, and bless each student that would be taking in this message today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for um, joining me today, and I trust that God would just continue to bless the work that you're doing, and I trust you have a great day. God bless you.